highlights to him, the primary, well, one of the primary director's jobs was like to make sure you do nothing cliche. So if anything is remote and cliche, you have to change it. So I have this kind of like neurosis almost when I go in to write anything that has to be wholly its own thing. So as a result, I end up just writing like fucking hundreds of scenes and throw them away because I'm like, ah, I've seen that before, I've seen that before. So I'm trying to, and I'm not like, by the way, I'm, I, by the time it's finished, it's not a wholly original piece. Of course, it's still based on what came before, but at least I feel I've been honest in it. Like millions of people who watch it and go like, oh, that's just like that film. <laughs> like, yeah. Today on the show, we are joined with film director, Phil Sheeran. He's got a brand new feature film out called Winter Lake, and it's absolutely awesome. The cast is insane. It's got people from like Game of Thrones, Peaking Blinders, the chick from Sex Ed on Netflix. Wow, it's, it's, it's amazing. This happens to be his first feature film as well. At the beginning of the interview, we talk a lot about the film, but as we go on, we talk about his path getting into the industry, writing, and turning his childhood dream into a job. This is a great interview, very introspective, and um, this is for anybody who's just out there going for it, whether you're into film, whether you're into music, whether you're into comedy, whether you're a baker, who a candlestick maker, anything you want to do in life. Um, just go for it and make it happen, baby. But without further ado, here's Phil Sheeran coming at you. Hey, Phil. Hey, Sean. How are things? Great, great. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, what, to be here. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. What what time is it where you're at right now? Oh, it's fine. It's like 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. Oh, right on, right on. So we're not... Yeah, yeah. I wasn't thinking of how the time shift worked or whatever, because it's uh, it's the morning here in Canada. <laughs> and I'm like, is yeah, he yeah. getting up at 3 a.m. or something? But no, uh, no, it's not too early there, right? It's like 11, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a decent time. But uh, yeah, re really nice to meet you. Uh, and it's very cool, yeah. too. Uh, um, this was kind of like spontaneously set up uh, the other day. And what, <laughs> I actually, I love that when I'm about to talk to a filmmaker, too, because it's almost like you watch the film and then you can immediately just ask all the questions that <laughs> hop in your head, like right when it's over. So, uh, yeah, it, yeah, some, it. <laughs> yeah, some people uh, probably like see that as like almost like procrastination. But I like to like watch the film till like the last minute. So I fired it up this morning with my breakfast. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was Good awesome. Um, yeah, I want to say, too, um, yeah, it was um, one thing I appreciated, I think, the most about it. It was it was such like a, a tight cast in remote location. But it told mm. like such a, a big story, you know, and as I'm watching this film, it it kept me so intrigued to what's going to happen next or how the pieces of the puzzle are going to come together with people knowing like certain information of what they found out at the beginning, trying not to spoil anything. But uh, <laughs> as a director, uh, when you get a script like this, uh, do you just start imagining in your head how is this going to be, how like the location is going to be and everything like that? Um, I tell yeah, like pro profoundly so, but um, it was easier on this, like, because David Turpin, the writer, he's um, he, he he writes very, like, very beautiful prose almost in the script, like, it's very descriptive, there's a gothic feeling, very poetic. Um, so you really get a like a solid sense of the world, so so your your imagination doesn't feel too taxed, I would say. And so, like, as I, as I was reading it. It was just something that definitely came to life and lived in my head quite easily. Mm. Um, 
but it's the same like kind of like what you're saying about like the how much of a chamber piece it is like just a few people kind of um, isolated and constricted and all that kind of stuff but I suppose it's the themes that are quite broad and universal that would make it that would hopefully make it feel a little bit more uh, yeah that it's not so esoteric as to only appeal to people who live in the west of Ireland <laughs> so yeah, yeah yeah even I was thinking too like uh how it was shot like it's all kind of like has a gray tone to it it's like kind of like when they're outside it's almost like after it rains and like is that like difficult to kind of uh divvy like days with the weather being like that to be consistent or is it just always gray in Ireland like that? it's pretty much like because we shot winter in Ireland like it was kind of like yeah. February, February late February we started shooting so that's kind of the weather you get but also like, you know, you just have to shoot anyway. If it, like, you know, in the middle of the day, the sun comes out, you just have to keep going and you hope the grades can pull it down or pull it together or, or that. But yeah, like we're not, um, I know Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins on, on the West Side 1917, they got to wait for the weather. We, we're, we're not there yet. So yeah, yeah. we'll <laughs> wait for the weather on something else. But yeah, no, it was just like Ireland gives you a lot and the script was written with a sense of place and place in mind, which, which as I said, comes naturally true from the landscape and from the weather, particularly at West, like the West of Ireland is very West. You, you have the, the air coming in, the, uh, what you call it? The Gulf stream coming in across the Atlantic, hitting cold air and like a lot of rain. So. Yeah. And uh, I know a few uh, Irish people listen to the show. Uh, shout outs to, John, <laughs> shout outs to Johnny Shea in Limerick right now, but uh, where, just uh like what's uh what town was that in ireland just i'm sure some people would be interested in. uh cooley was one of the town we shot it in a few but cooley was the was the main was the main town we set it in um but the actual like you know the house the main house and the houses they're like that's that's anywhere like kind of it should feel like a little bit more forgotten like you know what i mean it's it's on the it's on the edge of anywhere that that those, the house itself um yeah so but that's kind of and geographically, it's on the border between Sligo and Leitrim. There you go. For, ah. There's for Johnny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's actually very interesting to hear, too, because um, as a viewer of the film, too, like, I imagined everything was all together. And just, like, how you mentioned, like, you've been shooting all these different places. Uh, you guys did a really good job of kind of piecing the puzzle and making it feel like it's, like, that consistent small town. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's always... Um, I wouldn't even say it's difficult. There's always a concern that people, you have to think about it and you have to think like always, oh, they left on the right of frame and there was a, a wall there. So now we have to bring them past the wall from left of frame and that's a different town, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's just, it's just planning, I suppose. But, uh, but it is, it's quite easy. You just need to, you just need to plan ahead. But it's yeah. good. Yeah. And if fun. you uh, fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got to be an interesting thing. And I think a lot of people who watch movies, they don't think of that kind of thing too, which... Yeah. yeah. Unless unless you see a film shot in your hometown and then you're like, you see the person walks up while you know is the main street and take a left and then on a completely different street and you're sitting there and you're like, that's not that street. What the heck? So like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've seen, that. yeah. I've seen that a bunch with my hometown, but uh, also uh, one thing I, I give kudos to the classic film Ghostbusters. I was in New York as a, on a trip and there's like a scene where Rick Moranis runs from his apartment and then runs across the street in the park and there's a restaurant and I remember just walking down the street and I'm like 
hey, that's the Ghostbusters apartment. And I look across the street. I'm like, oh, there's the restaurant. And that's like another yeah. thing I appreciated like about that film and shit like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, listen, that, that restaurant, Tea in the Park or something. Is that what it's called? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I forget the name right? of it. It's just like yeah. the last one or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. I kind of uh, want to go back in like a bit of your history too. It's like uh, I, b- I believe this is the first film I've watched of yours too, and uh, I, I, I want, I want to know a little bit how you got into filmmaking. Was there like a specific movie you saw when you were a kid? I want to do that, or just All something right. random yeah, yeah. you fell into? No, um, yeah, it's my first feature. So next you watch shorts. Yeah, oh, cool. Really, wouldn't really see anything, but um, gosh, when did I? I would, I'd say it goes out like my house was a, a kind of a, a entertainment focused house in terms of like we weren't musicians or like artists like my, my mother ran a coffee shop my dad was a baker but there was always music there's always films there was always this kind of like there was a, always a cacophony going on and films was just what I gravitated towards and I was like two older brothers two cooler older brothers that would show me the right movies at the right age that kind of thing um, but it was I was 12, so the one that changed me or the one that made me, I wouldn't necessarily say it made me want to be a filmmaker itself, but it made me look at movies so profoundly differently that I started obsessing over them. It wasn't until much later that I actually wanted to be a director itself, but, uh, but the film was High Plains Drifter by Clint Eastwood. Oh, it cool. It was a second movie, um, but there's two edits. There's an American edit that's more focused that's more straight Western, but the edit they released in Europe uh, play up the um, supernatural aspects of it. And I was 12 years of age watching this, what I thought would be a normal Western that ended up having a kind of a Faustian bargain in it. Like the main character sold his soul to the devil to come back and wreak havoc on the town, this kind of thing. And I was just blown away. Like it opened my mind completely as a kid because I never, I'd probably seen films that did conflate multiple genres or genre bending or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but this is the first time I watched it and was aware of what was going on. And and also first time I kind of watched a film that had an anti-hero where I was like, oh, it's weird that I'm rooting for the bad guy. That's, that's kind of strange. But um, yeah. and anyway, so like one of the bad guys, they're all bad and he's just the bad guy we're following, but we were on his side. Mm. Um, so that, that was a, like, yeah, it kind of was, a, it was kind of like, it opened up, opened my eyes more that stories, one, the stories are more constructed, that they're more malleable, that way more goes into them than I would have thought. Like, you know, as a kid, you just, you just think that they, as a kid, you think they're easy as well. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> as a kid, you're kind of, anything is great, but also you watch a lot of Spielberg and stuff. So of course it's great. Like, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but this was kind of the first time where I, was, I could kind of see the building blocks and kind of like the idea of moving them around. But then just, yeah, throughout my teens, I was the kid who, the rest of my friends would go drinking at 15 and I'd go home and watch films and play video games. And that, that was kind of, that was my thing. So yeah, then that just went, I say I was about, I was in the middle of I was studying aircraft engineering when I kind of had this, I just knew I wasn't going to do that. And I also knew I wanted to do something in film, but I'm from a normal background. I know nobody in the film industry. I knew nobody. I know people now, obviously. So I just had no idea how to go about it. So like, I just, like I waited a few years to try anything. I was in, I was 26, I think, or 25, something like that, when I actually started getting little jobs on sets. And it was only because I had a car. And like that, that's the, 
that's the best way into the film industry. Like go go to smaller size production companies, ask them are they shooting anything, tell them you have a car, they'll put you on the on the payroll. Yeah. They'll pay oh. you back all, but they'll put you on. Like so, so that was kind of it. And just through bouncing around through the different departments, I initially thought I wanted to be a cinematographer because I was always into like aesthetics and art photography and that kind of sense. And um, like just composition and lighting and and blah blah blah. But um, but it was quite quickly that I kind of. It was quite actually. There was a weird thing. It was like working on sets that I realized that I actually used to write a lot, like still do. But I would write and not consider myself having written anything. Like if I had an idea for a story, I'd write it down, but genuinely forget about it. But also in a weird kind of part of my head, think that's what everyone does. Everyone has his ideas and puts them away. Um. So it was kind of a combination of of having these ideas that I was always like kind of like turning out or a bit passionate about, mixed with this strong kind of well passion for aesthetics and passion for like like the old school way of doing things like Max Offal's kind of style of blocking and stuff that I was like oh that's not really the cinematographer's job it kind of feels more like the director's job so so from then from like 20 so that was only a couple of years so I was like 27 28 when I was like right I'm gonna be a director through that but then I went back to university studied rather than Rather than like kind of hustling my way up the ladder, because it kind of really isn't the ladder. Yeah, um, it's 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 uh, scary too to try to make that jump too. Um, I feel like I kind of had a, like a similar path as you too. It's kind of my late twenties. I embraced like my creativity, started getting into like videography and podcasting and stuff. But yeah. um, I'd always be like on the middle of the fence of like trying to do something else. Like you were saying, like you were like. Uh, doing like uh, aircraft engineering and stuff and yeah. was it in your mind you're like oh this is a job that can actually uh pay the bills one day and then you had film on the other hand where it's like oh this is like a jump a risk I don't know what's gonna happen type and um, definitely like I I got in like I think engineering fascinating like I love knowing how things work on a mechanical level generally more than I know nowadays everything's computer programming and all that and I'm just like oh man I just can't get my head around this but um but on a mechanical level, I really like, and like, you know, the, like, just it's like power plants and all that kind of stuff. I think it's, it's, I think it's brilliant. And I can see it operating in my head. I think it's fun. Um, so I was into it. And then like planes are brilliant. Who doesn't love planes? Everyone grows up loving planes. So there was an aspect of all that, but it was quite quickly into the studying of it and into the working of the jobs that I was just like this, the actual work isn't for me. Everyone, like, you know, the novelty of learning something is always fun. So, so I enjoyed that thing. It's, it's tough, but it's like, yeah. I enjoyed that. But, um, but again, my, my uh, go-to relaxation was still going to films and this kind of thing and, and talking about films. Like I have all these memories of where I was supposed to be working with like uh, one of my friends, uh, an engineer friend, like Des, and I'd let him do all the work as I just tell him my latest story ideas. And I'd be just standing there with, with a screwdriver and he'd be doing all the work then. That's great. <laughs> so like, so I, I barely awesome. worked. Yeah, I barely worked. I'd just be like waffling about the films I want to make or the stories I like. Um, but yeah, but then when it came time to actually making the leap, it didn't feel that dangerous, probably because like you're in your 20s, you kind of, you feel a bit bulletproof and you're a bit like overly optimistic, I suppose. But also <laughs> I get a lot of support from my family. Like, you know, like, like we're very tight. Um, like my mom, like as I said, she's like, like we're not like, like floating in money or any of that stretch of imagination. But you need as much emotional support as anything else, because yeah. there's a serious amount of time where 
three percent is downtime where you have to stay motivated yourself to keep working and you need people to kind of keep a fire under you sometimes same thing with like there's a lot of rejection in the industry so like it's very easy to get disheartened particularly like you know i have a lot of actor friends and like they, they build up like the, the people who can handle it build up a lot of defenses for that but um but yeah so i need i need to lean on my family a lot and like move back home from time to time and this kind of aspect so i always knew i always knew i had that cushion you know what i mean that if, mm, if yeah. shit ever really went terribly or if there was nothing coming in for like two years i just go back into my childhood room and screw it, <laughs> that's it. yeah yeah that's, that's, awesome. that's it for now on yeah yeah no that's great you can play your cards and that that's cool that you have like a family that's yeah. supportive too i also love how you mentioned too uh almost like interning like because you had a car you can get on set and you can drive them around or like get coffee or whatever and i always tell yeah. people like no matter what they want to do like because i know so many talented people who may do a craft but they don't know how to get into the industry and it's it's really networking and putting your foot yeah. forward. And like, if you want to film something and you don't know how to film, like buy the camera and fuck around, make mistakes. But um, yeah, yeah, it's no, especially you, just getting out yeah. there and seeing other people do it as well is very important. You learn faster that way. Yeah, no, no one's ever going to give you anything. Like you really have to, you really have to forge your own path into it. Like, you know, like even if you like like your friends and how they make it in the industry, you can't really copy them because you're a different person and you're into different things. So you have to like genuinely, you have to kind of almost entrepreneurial shift your way through the through the like form a strategy and go for it. Um, and yeah, mine was just quite early on was that thing of like I had a I had a hatchback car, but she was like she had a couple of hundred thousand miles, but she would she'd do the job and like yeah, I was just willing to just willing to do anything plus. Like I just I dug it, like you know what I mean, and the, this good camaraderie on set, and it's just yeah, it was fun. It was definitely that sense of like, oh, I'm I'm in the right place, I'm in the right industry at least, kind of thing. Because you're not sure initially, because yeah. you don't know. Thing can be completely different than what you imagined it to be. But um, mm. but yeah, it was it was um, a lot more stressful, but in a fun kind of you know, like these mass long days, like like, and then even when you get home, you still have to do stuff. Like when I was working on camera crew. You're coming home but you've like batteries all full in the boot of the car and you have to bring the batteries in and then you're charging the batteries overnight and you get oh, up and, yeah. them out and all this kind of stuff and then bring them to set and, and you're just like hoping that like nothing went wrong or like there's no kind of weird power outage because you're like draining so much current for these batteries yeah and people don't uh, see that side of thing like uh yeah, i worked yeah. in like uh, videography and live events for shows and concerts and and shit like that too and it's like uh like some of the stories are like you ever have like things where like something's going wrong and then you somehow just magically like fucking jerry rig it and like <laughs> and it's still like you fix everything but people don't know on the back end like like how you had to like run across town to get like this type of charger this thing kind of thing just to make yeah. it happen and yeah there's a little that's bit. everything that, that's that's the job isn't it and that's yeah. the fun that's what i mean when you start now that's actually what i really like i, I love the problem solving yeah kind of hodgepodge nature of it or whatever but um but yeah i know like eventually i was, I was lucky enough to kind of work my way onto like our budgets for shorts and that kind of stuff and being passionate about what i wanted to say rather than just getting a job <laughs> so, yeah for sure, for sure. It, yeah yeah and also you mentioned this was your first feature and 
I didn't know that. Congrats. And even actually watching this and why I kind of asked you about your history, I just assumed like you have like a, a big library and uh, you talk about the networking too. your cast as well in this. You got like the dude from Game of Thrones, Peaking Blinders, uh, Emma, she's on like Netflix, like, yo, it's like, yeah. all, like heater characters right here. And that's so that's so special and awesome for your first feature to have like just yeah uh, yeah something like that we were super lucky like genuinely really lucky um so many things just fell into place like not only were we really lucky to get the cast of that um that, that notable but also that are that good like because you just just because someone's famous doesn't mean they're good but these were all absolutely like so talented but then also that they got on like they loved each other they they were so supportive they were like there for each other all the time and it was like difficult conditions like you know like i said Ireland in the middle of winter and they're in fields and he's like like the houses that you film in on film they're always in bits they're always wrecked they're always like there's always dust everywhere and no heating and stuff so you have to make do like make the best of that situation but like they were just so fantastic with each other and yeah and then even if you look at Anson and Emma in particular like the two uh teens in it or the younger characters uh, Emma isn't a teen anymore but um but yeah like they, they really had to have a chemistry. They really had to get on. While at the same time, she had to be this almost kind of reinvented femme fatale that kind of had to be believable, that fits inside this little world in like West, fucking West Coast of Ireland and like embodied all these starlets. But at the same time, someone, oh yeah, she looks like someone who's from there, fair enough. While then Anson had to go through all this mental anguish that he has bottled inside and then he has like five lines of dialogue in the whole film so so like how do you make that happen like you know what i mean in terms of how do you make sure that they really have chemistry and yeah a lot of it a lot of it's look to be honest even though we did have them together beforehand but it was like we had them together even though we had very little options <laughs> like it was just like this better work so yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, even like amazing. it's so it's so interesting when i think about uh anson's character too uh and like you mentioned, oh, he probably only has like five lines or something like that. But he's still like telling the story out of expression and stuff like that, almost to the point where I wasn't thinking about how little he was speaking, like just right. his actions and the way he just carries throughout his, the film. And I'm trying my best not to spoil anything because I, I want people to experience the film themselves. But uh, but yeah, that's just kind of a. Uh, I don't know. It just shows like the work of a, a great actor when you, um, I don't know, you can just kind of do that and kind of like trick me to, to not even think that you're, you're not speaking, but you're, you're still guiding the story and everything. It's, it's cool. Yeah. I think he did the work and I suppose that's kind of what, what's important there. Like, cause it'd be very easy for an actor to, have, and I don't think like actors do the work. This isn't me saying actors are lazy. Like they yeah. do the work that they're, they're normally, they're so passionate. Why wouldn't they? But uh, so Anson got the script and he's in like so much of the film. Like he's in at least 65% of the scenes. And I said, he talks very rarely, if ever, uh, in a scene. Um, but he came to the table with like, when we were like showed up and he had like just notes, like, like notebooks on notebooks of what he felt the character would have been thinking. And this is what's on their mind. And not writing down pinpoint like on this, when this person says this, I'm going to be thinking this exact thing. Just more in a uh, like in an atmosphere sense, like you knew how the character would like you know how they would how they would want to respond. This kind of because the character has such an internal life, and like 
there's this lack of normal expression, like in terms of like being able to, as you're saying, being able to talk or being confident, like he's a little bit intimidated by people, but he definitely has such an internal world that he knows that we should respond, but there's all these checks and balances and he's nervous and all this. So he, he figured all that out and he had this a, a game plan, I suppose, kind of colored so that he knew how in this scene, this is what I'm thinking about. And just like sit back, kind of like did made my job easy because <laughs> yeah. we, we should do that together. But at the same time, I, I'd let him go and he'd be like, that was great. Let's, let's move up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so awesome. And that just shows like uh, you got the right guy for the role too, because he cares that fucking much and just trying yeah. to piece everything and really get into that character. And one yeah, thing, totally. um, it kind of intrigued me. Uh, actually, uh, getting introduced to that character near the beginning. To uh, I was talking to my friend who's a a social worker too, and uh, she was kind of talking about like how. Like some people who kind of have that social like awkwardness, it usually connects to something that's going on in their past. And just that conversation was fresh in my memory as I was watching this film too. And it was almost like, oh, we're going to like, as the film goes on, we're going to figure out his story and which, which did happen with not only him, actually like all the characters too, which uh, I thought yeah. it was very well done too. It's almost like you get present all your pieces and then it all just kind of, comes in together into one thing at the end yeah well if the film is more concerned with that i would say like it's more concerned with the psychology and the emotions and the and the traumatic past of each of the characters rather than the um rather than the plot if you know what i mean like so like the climax is more about we've learned all we need to learn or we've learned the dark past of these people and by dark past i'm not necessarily just saying like here's the dark secret they don't want to tell like it's quite simply like with Tom, like the main character, we kind of realized by the end that even though he shuts himself away from everyone and keeps everyone at arm's length and he's, he's this isolated character, what he actually wants more than anything is someone to take care of him. That's why he takes care of the objects, the inanimate objects, that kind of thing. And we kind of learn why, or we learn how that his early trauma is manifested in that way. And the same with Elaine, like, you know, the mother, like her, similar past like parents dumping her like uh, and with the grandparents grandparents not understanding her her running away so again there's this sense of um like i would say ultimately it's a sense of loneliness that kind of binds everyone that they they're they're all in all in some way they've all perverted themselves in trying to find some kind of companionship in any kind of way like romantic or familial that kind of thing so. yeah definitely yeah definitely like such like a deep story with like maybe five like subplots that come together but uh, <laughs> yeah. as i'm saying it like it might sound to people like oh this is crazy that's kind of nuts but it's like as a viewer it was so easily digestible like i gotta give you kudos because it just kind of just had like such a nice flow and like actually it wasn't even a long movie it was like an hour and a half too and it just I don't know. It, an felt, hour and a half, uh, it felt like I watched the whole series this morning, but it was just, <laughs> <laughs> it was like a quick, like, bang. <laughs> yeah. I suppose the pacing is quite methodical. I'd say yeah. like, you know, the pacing is, is deliberate. So like, or like people with Netflix, people would probably say it's slow, <laughs> but, uh, but to me it's deliberate, it's methodical while at the same time, yeah, cause it's only an hour and a half and a lot of story happens in an hour and a half. So yeah. to me, it's quite quick. <laughs> yeah, kudos, kudos. So uh, yeah, like you mentioned, this is your first feature too. Uh, how are you feeling um, getting this out to the world right now? Uh, it's just like, because we shot it over two years ago, nearly two ah. and a half years ago. Yeah, 
So like, like the film has been finished, finished a year and a half. So COVID's kind of just gotten in the way of everything. Um, so it's actually weird talking to people about it now. Yeah. <laughs> it, feels, it feels so long ago. Cause like genuinely like the whole, like making a film and all that, it's so much effort for such an intense period of time, but then it ends. Like you get like dozens and dozens of emails a day. And then all of a sudden one day they're just, they're over. There's a stop. It's done. So like, so on that level, it's, I'm, I'm enjoying kind of talking to people about it. I'm enjoying, but there's also this wild disconnect where I have to kind of really think back. I'm just like, oh yeah, we did that, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, it, 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 it's good. I'm happy. And I'm also happy. It's just getting out because it's like I said, it's sass. It's sass waiting for a kind of release during yeah. COVID and all that kind of stuff for like a good, a good year longer than everyone was expecting. So yeah. And it, so like I, it, it, it's a push out. And that year felt longer than the year, you know, it's a weird fucking times and everything. And yeah, yeah it's unfortunate that uh, your first uh, feature kind of hit around that, but I don't know. Like, yeah. 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 After like whatever it's, it's also good. Like everything's, everything's a part of the journey. And you know? like, so as long as we all learn lessons from on good and bad, we'll be fine moving forward. So and then, uh, but uh, but I'm I'm happy. I like literally, I'm focused. Like as as you have to be. Like everything moves forward. Just to focus on the next thing. So that's kind of it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, can you talk about the next thing? Do you got something in mind? Are you working on something? Or um, I'm developing two feet. Like you know, I work with two production companies in London. Um, oh God, what one of them? Like well, one of them is about <laughs> uh, an old woman like an 80 year old woman gets pregnant and the <laughs> other women, if the other women in the commune kind of thing, think she's a witch as a result. So it becomes a witch <laughs> trial kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, but that, that one's kind of a lot about, it's a lot about sexuality and repression and things like that, which is kind of like, um, like whatever, like coming from a Catholic country, it's always ever present, but also in particular with me, it's kind of something that I've, so then I become kind of obsessed with like just the notion of or what is sexuality and things like that. But then, and then just looking at your life and the breadth of your life and how, what sex means to you at different parts of your life. And then, yeah. So, so that's kind of what, that's what the story is about, like thematically. Um, while at the same time has the whole plot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, it's but, wicked. Um, yeah. But then like, the other, I'm like, I'm writing it. Like again, the, the other two things. So that that one has a bit more heat, I suppose you'd say. Uh, the other two things are, God, they're definitely more pet projects in terms of I've been working on them for years. One of the TV show based on Napoleon. It's massive. I suppose it would be just, it'd be just yeah. like you know, if I win the Oscar, they'll let me make this one. I suppose. Yeah, that's uh, just all I, the history you got to sift through. And yeah, oh, it's it's kind of intense. Um, yeah. But the, I've outlined the story. That it's not actually Napoleon's life. It's taking Napoleon as inspiration for something else. Um, but it's still trying to reference history an awful lot, but reflect it now or using it now. Um, there's that, and then there's a, a feature. The other feature is the IRA thing about a, a, an adult who um, he's trying to, what you say, he's coming to terms with something he did as a teenager, but now he's in his 50s. And it's wow. kind of like, um, yeah, trying to try and trying to put his uh, wrongs to right while at the same time being stuck in an unwinnable situation. So, yeah, 
Yeah, that's cool. I, I look forward to all these. I'm, I'm a new fan, Phil. So <laughs> yeah, I, I also uh, I like how like you kind of even though like they're different stories, there's like a, it seems like there's a thematic thing going on with uh, people overcoming like internal type of struggles, too. And yeah, yeah, I oh, know totally. Um, I'd say generally like the most of my shorts have, have, have a lot to do with family and kind of the, like and not that I necessarily think it's about my family, but generally there's like, how far can you push someone you love until that, until the love disappears kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, in it, so like how, like, you know, if you have a mother and son and they just like, they clearly love each other, but they're also just like the son is a hellraiser, this kind of thing. Like how, how bad can he get can before the mother pushes them out of the house, this kind of, this, this kind of narrative. Uh, on many levels you have that with like obviously romantic relationships as well like you know like just boyfriend and girlfriend or husband and wife but i i find it particularly fascinating probably just because of because of the family i grew up in there is that thing of like you like the godfather style thing is you never turn your back on your family that kind of thing so yeah, like in my yeah. head it's like but when do you like how far oh, how, yeah. how bad do you have to get to turn your back on your family <laughs> so yeah like, that's cool that like there's a, there's a lot of like psychology going into your work it's cool that's that's, yeah. that's really interesting too like yeah. that's so true it's like uh just having like such a strong uh bond that uh like on the surface people will be like oh that's forever but then you take it a step further it's like okay how what what would cause this yeah this to crumble type of thing and just map it out like yeah that's gotta be wild too as like uh did you find like it's uh exhausting to write these pieces or do you have fun writing these pieces um no i I find it exhausting like so like i didn't write winter lake by the way like yeah that was that was was david turpin but um uh, and he's very much a writer in terms of like jesus he'd you he'd give you a new draft in like a week like this kind of stuff and i was like how the fuck are you doing it this fast this kind of shit whereas like with my stuff yeah i kind of I don't enjoy the writing process. I'm very dyslexic, so it's it's a slow, arduous thing. So my imagination works quite well when I'm when I'm not putting pen to paper, when I'm just kind of thinking to myself and I will record voice notes. But then trying to put it down in a linear fashion or just in a scene and listening to how people talk and all that, it just takes me for absolute ever. But then the similarly with the like I similarly with the scenes itself, I I kind of there's a just Sydney, I'm a big fan of Sydney the Mess, right? I think he's absolutely amazing. And I always remember Sydney Met saying that like it's the direct like to him, the primary well, one of the primary director's jobs was like to make sure you do nothing cliche. So if anything is remotely cliche, you have to change it. So I have this kind of like neurosis almost when I go in to write anything that has to be wholly its own thing. So as a result, I end up just writing like fucking hundreds of scenes and throw them away because i'm like ah, i've seen that before I've seen that before so i'm trying to, and i'm not like by the way i'm I, by the time it's finished it's not a wholly original piece of course it's still based on what came before but at least i feel i've been honest in it like millions of people will watch it and go like oh that's just like that film i find people always like they try to find something to compare something to and uh, yeah. i talk to a lot of musicians on the show as well too and it's always like the conversation where somebody like those the average person will see something totally original and still try to put it in a box it's like oh this sounds like 
Jimi Hendrix mixed with Jay-Z and like they just like throwing yeah, yeah. out names of whether it's like films or artists or whatever when sometimes you just gotta like take a breath and like take it for what it is like you don't always have to like reference uh, somebody's work to somebody else's work who's like whether they're more famous or something that you're personally more familiar with too and that's just like my yeah. opinion but it's, it seems like it's common human nature to do that I think it is like like to be someone like yourself or, or like an actual musician or a film buff, like a real film buff, who probably don't like, you know what I mean? Because they are taking it on the merit of what it is. Whereas I found like most of my friends who, who are like, you know, just like working in, in everyday industries, whatever, like plumbers and that kind of stuff. They're predominantly the ones who are doing it, but they're doing it for a very real reason. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you like Die Hard, you'll like this. That kind yeah, of yeah. that kind of doing from so they're kind of selling the film to each other and to sell it you gotta like it's a, like same same but different approach like you know so whereas yeah whereas if I was talking to my film filmmates or whatever yeah I'd be genuinely pulling pulling focus as to how different it is and that kind of stuff so yeah but, yeah um, but yeah no, I, I agree with you I agree with you but also like yeah it's also how they sell movies so yeah true frustrating. <laughs> yeah it's like you know. They copy the posters they like like oh it makes the trailer a bit like this like the trailer for winter lake was made to look a bit more a bit more actiony which i don't like you know i don't want to get anyone in trouble but i don't agree with how they portrayed the trailer because it makes it feel more um it makes it feel like more like a carbon copy uh rural noir that there's like explode like explosive action and all that kinds of mm. words it's not it's more um, it's more psychological it's more internal that has like two moments two explosive moments that kind of thing so yeah yeah so, they just anyway. kind of spice it up a bit too and yeah spice up big music lots of crash cutting and all that kind of stuff and i was like there's not much editing in this film either like you know it's kind of like precise <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 but yeah. um yeah it was cool like uh like yeah i didn't think of it that way but yeah the the trailer was a little like craziness and i was expecting like <laughs> like people are going to be getting stabbed every three seconds <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, but I, I was i was so happy with the film experience i got from that it's, all right brilliant yeah yeah thanks yeah it's wicked and yeah, yeah so people like who are listening to you can watch this now it's i believe it's on itunes google play um amazon and i think in canada it's at on kojiko in bell as well uh for people who are in this area and uh and yeah, it's cool to just pick your brain. And one more thing, like um, we talked about like like your shorts and everything too. And uh, I want to know a little bit, like how did the, um, the moment transition into you being able to do a feature? Was it where you just keep grinding over and over again and like made these connections? Or was it this one day you're like, I'm going to write something bigger and pitch it type of thing? Or um, I didn't like, how did I get the job? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, yeah. how you how you basically how like the winter lake kind of spawned to for you to be the guy for it to to run um, the ship it's short like yeah I, anyone who wants to be anyone who wants to be a director has to just direct like you have to do this like you know you can't as i said no one's going to give it to you and you won't get to talk your way into it if you haven't done anything um so you have to go out and you have to direct shorts and they are still vital to the industry and so are festivals so what happened with my, me was I made a short called North and it did very well, like on, on the festival circuit and it did very well back, like, you know, just um, like Ireland's main festival is like one called Galway, Galway Film Fat. Uh, and it, it did well there. 
and at the same time, so this is like there's also a lot of luck involved. But at the same time, uh, tailored like the production company were looking for someone to be, to attach as the director onto the script. So if there wasn't the money in place yet, so that they had one or two drafts done, and they saw the short. It was similar in tone. It was similar in like kind of uh, a lot of not the same themes like in terms of abuse and that kind of stuff, but the themes about dynamics in terms of between mother and son and and family and that kind of thing, uh, and also dealt with isolation and loneliness and things. So so they kind of just saw it. It made sense that we could talk, would talk with each other. It doesn't make sense that they'd give me the job, but it made sense that like I made this, like it was a half an hour short, it was like 28 minutes or something like that. So, um, so yeah, so it got me in the room and then, and then from there, yeah, it was just like, you have to have a take, you know what I mean? Like when you read the script, you have to have like an opinion is one thing, but you have to talk about what you would want to bring out of it more, where, where you was, where you would direct your your own like where your own aesthetic would come into it and what would change or what would move get taken away that kind of thing so yeah just those conversations led to another conversation and eventually led to being on it so, okay. so that was it but yeah but i would say like genuinely if anyone other than just raising the money yourself to make a short because i can make a feature because that's ultimately it's all about money like you know get the money you, you can do it um but if you want to get in the room to get features make shorts and unfortunately you have to send them to festivals i say unfortunately because i love festivals but they're fucking expensive like jesus christ you have to send it to a lot because because like i don't know everyone wants to see the laurels everyone wants you to have won something just be just making a great short and putting it on youtube probably won't like more than likely won't get you much but if if you put it on if it went to like sundance like and then but on youtube people courting it like crazy so it's like about like validation i suppose is what people are looking for because it's a lot of everything's a lot of money like even though winter lake is like a low budget indie film still a million quid a million quid's a lot of money like, Fuck so, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and so. you you see like the cast in it too it's like you yeah. you guys you guys didn't cheap out on this one like for sure well the money yeah like money went into the task and like, and I don't mean that in the sense, the yeah. but yeah, no, like we wanted the right cast, and then we wanted like you know, and then a lot of the money was like literally put on production design in terms of like making sure the house was right, making sure the cafe was right, these kind of things. But we really um kind of stripped down everything else, like even like you know, lost a lot of scenes so that we could streamline things and focus on what we thought was like focus on what we thought was most effective, basically. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I love how you, you shared how you kind of made that transition to um, I get like emails and messages from people who are like in different creative fields. I feel like they kind of gravitate to these little segments too. So I always love asking questions like that too. And I, I think, uh, yeah. yeah, that was, that was an awesome answer of like, it's, it's, it's crazy how like the grind is, you know, it's like, I'm sure while you're, you're doing your shorts too, there's always like that seed in the back of your mind, uh, Will this lead to something bigger? If not, but you got to keep going yeah. and going. And almost like there's a point, like sometimes like the universe gives you this opportunity and you're either going to be prepared or not prepared. But sometimes all those struggles or like whatever, just grinding it out or whatever, like it'll teach you skills you didn't even know you had and you'd be the perfect person at the right moment at the right time for something to happen. So, yeah. 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 So you got to you gotta love it in terms of because it did so much work and I even I particularly with short like I don't mean short the more or like obviously making a feature is 
much more work. But with shorts, it's kind of all on your shoulders. Like as a, like when you direct shorts, you're carrying the whole thing on your shoulders, like you and the producer generally, because like the crew come in and out for like two days and they're gone. The actors are on for two days. Whereas like it has to be your baby and you have to like love it to bits. So like that's the only way to make it work, like I was saying. But yeah, I, that's why you kind of miss about shorts, I would say, is the, um, I think shorts is a purer vision because there's less people involved. Yeah, but yeah. then, but but it is, and basically the only reason why I'm saying this is like you should put your all into each individual project and not have it like oh it's only a short to get somewhere else. Like it it should be it should almost you should be treating like this is the only this is the last thing I'm ever going to make. So mm. like you know I, I better I better be happy with it. You know what I mean? So that's kind of it's a, it's an approach that kind of has served me well so far. And then that like if it all ends after this. I should be happy because I put my all into it. That, that's a, that's my approach. Although I don't want it to be all over. I want to, yeah, I yeah. Want to yeah, but uh, I don't know. I think there's power to that spirit, though. It just kind of has that focus and energy, like, like almost like manifesting how awesome it's going to fucking be. You're just like, yeah, this. if this is my last film, if this is my last song, if this is my last performance, I'm just going to lay it out. And this is what people are going to remember me for. If like, yeah, totally. Like, I'm not that prolific in terms of like, I'm, <laughs> I, I do things slowly. So yeah. I get to kind of really invest in it. But some people take the opposite, like, um, approach in terms of like, not that they're not like full of passion, but their passion, their passion is for the process rather than ah, the, yeah. the thing. And like, uh, and they'll make like three, four shorts a year. And it's like, it, it's what they're obsessed with is like just the creation of something. Whereas I'm a little bit. I, I don't know, even though I'm very subjective in terms of my approach and trying to like understand the psychology and the emotions of it and all that, I still want to make something that that has something deep to say and has like, you know, that should that hopefully resonates with people. And I and I would put a lot of kind of effort and kind of staying on the, the hamster wheel, kind of working the script and working the script to make sure that comes about. Like I'll do I'll do 30 drafts of the shorts just to make sure that it's right, that kind of thing. And I, I don't think that one side's better than the other. Like, like I, it's my way is the only way I can do it. But God, I know loads of I know loads of people who just who've made brilliant things, and like, but they've had like sixteen shorts, and there's like five brilliant ones, five pretty mm. crap ones, or five brilliant ones, five good ones, and five pretty crap ones. But they're like they're great, like in terms of, and they know what they're doing, and that's that's why they're doing it. They just want to make stuff, and that's yeah. I'd like yeah, I I wish I had a bit more of that to be honest. To be honest, like because. I feel like I'm stuck in my head too much because yeah. I'm always trying to figure things out emotionally and psychologically and, and yeah. And it's just, yeah, it can slow you down. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's almost like uh, comparing it to almost like cooking something in a crock pot, you know, it might take <laughs> like a, a day or two, but then at the end you got like something just fresh and juicy and everything. But, uh, and I, yeah. I, I feel like maybe that's more your style, which, uh, is is fucking awesome and yeah like i mentioned yeah. I, i'm a new fan and people can check out winter lake on video on demand like i think i mentioned bell kojiko there's it's on a lot of things it's like google it, <laughs> itunes uh google play all that and everything but uh yeah phil uh i wanted to say i appreciate your time today it uh, was a pleasure talking to you and also uh for your next one i'd love to have you back again too like this was like, such a fun talk and you're very introspective and kind of the type of people i like to have on these segments you know? <laughs> <laughs> cool 
Yeah, man. It's a pleasure meeting you. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode featuring Phil Sheeran. Like we mentioned, the film is called Winter Lake, and it's on On Demand almost everywhere you can imagine. Definitely check it out. It's such a unique film. And uh, right now, actually, you are listening to a song from one of our listeners. His name is Holdsy. Me and him go way back, and we just kind of reconnected, and I noticed he, he made some new music, and it is just awesome, and I recommend checking it out if you like punk rock. That is Holdzy, H-O-L-D-Z-Y, and the new EP is called Guard Down. So yeah, let me know if you dig this one, and Holdzy, maybe you can come on the show. That'd be a lot of fun to talk to you about this. But before we send you off with the rest of the song, I need to thank all you legends on the Patreon. First off, thanks to our co-producer, Jeremy Hopkin of Hopkin Design, Ola Mazuka of Sonic Fold, Ryan Watkins of Ryan Radio, Amanda McKnight of Top 10 Nerd, Pat Maloney, Ryan Campbell, Daniel Sun, Drew Stewart, Devin Staple, Mike Ulio, and Francis Coffer, aka my mom. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And this track is called Below the Above by Holdsy.